the shooting bench. If political incorrectness offends you, or if you don't like guns, or if you don't believe our government is corrupt enough to compare to 1938 Nazi Germany, this may not be the show for you, because for the next two hours, that's all we're going to talk about. You need to understand that there's a storm coming. You need to understand that the storm is building strength. And most of all, you need to understand that we are the storm. Here we go. Welcome to the shooting bench. Long time no see. It is the 4th of March. Um, I had a uh, couple of events to go to, important events, and it just didn't work out for me to get in here. We couldn't pre-record anything. We've been busier than the uh, proverbial one-legged man around here. So anyway, I'm here now, and we've got a lot to cover tonight. Uh, hope everybody hope it sounds good here. All the little needles are bouncing and all the little red and green things are showing. So I think it ought to be good. Uh, let me know in there if it's not. So I guess, um, I don't even know where to start. It's been guts of cotton picking many things to do here, but let's start off with a little information on the coronavirus. Obviously, this is a big thing in the news. We've talked about it before. I remain to be concerned about it to some degree. Um, I've never been concerned about dying from it, but um, 
I think that it's going to get, and it has the potential of getting worse before it gets better. Uh, we've heard that there's been, uh, what, six, seven, eight people die up in Washington now, one out in New York. Okay, that in and of itself is not a big deal. You know, that's what everybody saying. Well, it's good. Flu kills more than that. Well, I know. Who wants to get the flu? doesn't matter. If this is just another flu, you know, people still die from it. But I think what the, the potential is here with this virus is it's hitting in the winter right now. And when it warms up, you know, give it 60 days and we may see a dramatic change. Um, it's progressively getting worse. 90,000 some odd cases around the world now. And uh, what, 3,000 deaths or something like that. So anyway, it, it's not a major thing right now. I mean, it's major to the people that died and their, their loved ones, I guess. But, you know, other than that, it's not. But I guess the big thing, a couple of big things, uh, and I told you, I believe I told you this on the air, uh, what, month ago, six weeks ago, something like that, about shipping from China being disrupted. Well, it is dramatically. So, you know, we, we may see supply shortages here very soon. It doesn't matter whether the, the virus is real, how serious it is or what. People are taking it serious. And that's going to be a problem. Uh, I've heard, I've seen multiple stories and pictures of Walmarts and Costco's, you know, sold out of certain things, shelves absolutely bare in some areas. And um, so the the health risk to this right now probably isn't the major concern. Uh, it's not to be forgotten, but it's probably not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is the panic, the buying, the shortages of stuff. Uh, you cannot get N95 masks anywhere. They're not on Amazon. They're not at Lowe's. They're not at Home Depot. They're not at Walmart. Uh, Health care providers can't get them. There are no masks out there at all. So let's talk about the mask a little bit. We talked about it some the other day. Let's let's clarify something here. The mask by itself will not save you from anything. If there's if that virus is in the air and your eyes are not protected, um, your hands are not protected where you may touch your your mouth or your eyes later then the potential for you getting it is still pretty high. Now, understand that the virus by itself cannot travel. It has to be attached to something, generally particles of dust or droplets of water, like from a sneeze or a cough or just breathing. So will the mask stop the virus? Um particles and the virus itself as it travels through the air? No. But the virus itself doesn't travel through the air. Like I said, it's attached to something. So the virus is, all viruses are between, or most viruses are between 0.1 and 0.5 microns. The N95 mask protects you up to, uh, it stops uh, particles that are 0.3 microns or larger. So even in that, there's a possibility that it could stop the virus alone. But it very easily stops the water particles, the water drops and the particles of dust and stuff that the virus is attached to. So, but if your eyes are not protected, it doesn't matter. Everybody in the world's got these masks, but nobody's wearing goggles. Now the goggles do not have to stop um, well, what they need to do is stop contact with your eyes. Not that anything is going to seep in or likely to seep in around the edges and get to your eyes. It's direct contact if somebody sneezes on you or something like that. Uh, party, uh, uh, goggles that completely seal off your face, they're called dive masks or, you know, some other type of protective goggle. Uh, people are not going to wear those out there. They're, they're too sweaty, at least not right now. They're too sweaty, too hot. 
Um, but just anything, even just plain old wrap around sunglasses like a lot of us wear, that is adequate protection most of the time. Like I said, we're just trying to stop um, impact, you know, with uh, uh, of these particles with your eyes, contact with your eyes. So uh, what matters is that your mask will stop whatever vehicle that that virus is traveling on. Now, uh, the N95, the P95, or the P100, all of which are suspiciously absent from any place, all uh, will easily stop that. What that number means is the N95 will stop 95% of particles that are 3 microns and larger. Okay? The P100 stops... Uh, 97.9, whatever, some 99.7 or something, almost 100% of the particles, um, 0.3 microns and larger. So the, the P100 is um, a little better mask, not a whole lot, but it's a little better. The P95 is more for, um, it has replaceable cartridges in it. It's a little awkward to wear, you know, for, uh, around in, the things you do from day to day. So let me tell you some things that are going on in the medical world. This is from someone that works in the medical profession. It's not something I've heard. This is firsthand information from a healthcare professional. Um, there are, at this particular facility, they're turning a, a ICU unit into an isolation ward. They're, they're, uh, redoing all the duct work and everything to make it a negative pressure area, you know, basically airtight area. So not going to be cheap. They're, um, uh, like I said, the, I think I told you all ago that the, this is winter time when the weather gets warm, then we'll see, uh, if this thing goes away or if it multiplies, or whatever. So it could. Those of us that live out in the rural areas, like I do, we're substantially safer than people that are not. However, we still have to go to town once in a while. We have to travel. We have to work. We have to do other things. So um, in the next 60 to 90 days are going to be very telling here. Uh, let's see. All right. The, um, now this, this is directly from this healthcare person. It says, normally a virus does not become weaker as it mutates. It either stays the same or it gets stronger. But back in the old days, when you have a, a, uh, have one virus that is weak and, um, Instead of strong, in, in what am I trying to say here? I'm getting my tongue over my eye teeth. Can't see what I'm saying. The I think I mistyped that, but anyway, let's let's move on here. There's these people have big conferences every year, and these conferences are being canceled. I don't know about all of them, but for this particular field. And one of them is in San Diego. Tens of millions of dollars are spent there. And, of course, it costs tens of millions of dollars to put this thing on. But all the manufacturers for the – it's like a trade fair, you know, like a kind of like a big gun show, except it's medical stuff. Uh, they're telling all the representatives to stay home, stay in their home territories and not travel. So does that mean that – the healthcare professionals know something that we don't, or are they just falling for the same hype that everybody else is? Well, the uh, California and Washington are the the big hotspots for this stuff, obviously, and the uh, most of the conferences that they have are out on the on the left coast. So these people are being asked to either postpone or cancel things that put them in large crowds and to do voluntary restrictions on flying. This is something you should do. This is not just them. You should do the same. 
So the director had a meeting with him and said that they, uh, uh, not to panic, but he also said that we are not to put ourselves at unnecessary risk by unnecessary travel and things like that. So they're taking this stuff pretty serious. It's not, you know, you would think that these people have a little bit of a, a line on, on what's happening out there and what's going on. So, um, I had another deal here. Let's see, where is it? Uh, okay, right here. Now, these people are due for what they call fit testing. They take their mask and make sure they fit properly and all that. This is something they do, you know, once a year, once every six months or whatever. And this is when they, they test the fitting of those N95 masks. So, their management saying that if you happen to have a serviceable mask to bring it with you because the supply chain on these masks are gone and what they have is all they have. It's all they're going to get for the near foreseeable future. So what's frustrating about this is a lot of these people that are going out and getting these masks are the same people that claim to be preppers and whatnot, but they somehow managed to neglect to put some mask away this is something that you should already have did i buy some extras yes i did i didn't want to get into my store i see things disappearing in the very beginning the very beginning like in the first week i went down and bought a couple of boxes of them um and that was just to add to what I already had. So hopefully not to get into my stores. I'll use, actually I will get into my, my store, use some of my older masks up and, and, uh, save these newer ones for, uh, later on. But, um, you know, prepping is not a hobby. It's not a joke. It's not something that you do that's fashionable and cool because people down the street or because you read it in some magazine or on some radio show called the shooting bench. It's something that you do to survive, to stay alive, to keep your family healthy, to get through hard times when and if something happens, whatever those hard times may be. It may be that your house burns down. It may be that the main breadwinner of the family broke his leg, not going to be working for a little while. You know, and it could be that you're, uh, you know, you had family that their house burned down and they wound up having to move in with you and they're not working or whatever. You know, tornadoes, we've seen a massive tornado out in uh, Nashville, out in that area. And uh, I don't know what the figures are right now. I hadn't looked at it since this morning, but uh, I think there was eight or nine people killed, and at one point there were 77 still missing. And I saw that that number had changed and gone down to 20-something, so I don't know what it is at this point, but... Uh, it's still, that is a, if you survive something like that, that is a survival situation. Now, when you live in places where hurricanes are likely, you have to store at least some of your stuff somewhere where it won't disappear when the storm hits, like basements and underground storage containers or storm cellars or, or something. You're secured somehow where you don't lose everything when the wind hits. Now, quite obviously, everybody is not able to do that. I understand that. Um, but, you know, if you live in, in that part of the country, do you have friends that may have a little corner of a cellar somewhere that they that you put some, at least, maybe not all your storage stuff, but at least a little bit so that you can go there and have have clothes and water and, uh, you know, a jacket and food and whatnot to, just to get you for it through the first few days. If you can store a couple of weeks worth of rations and supplies somewhere at a friend's house, that would be much advisable. Uh, if you can't, you can. Uh, I get it. I understand. Not everybody can. But most everybody can come up with something. If you have to, and I did this actually in New Mexico. Uh, we had a lot of stuff, and I said, what happens if, uh, the house burns down, collapses on the cellar. All of our stuff is either trapped or burned up. What do we do? We wake up, bust out of the house in our underwear, and and uh, what what happens then? So we buried four 30-millimeter ammo cans, fiberglass ammo cans, 
full of uh, food, scripture, little stuff for the kids, you know, some reading material and stuff. Um, just some basic, uh, basic clothing, just a, a pair of pants and a shirt and tennis shoes. I think, well, no, it was more than four cans. We married, it may have been six cans. Anyway, whatever, stand by just a second here. Okay, glad I got that out of my system. Um, anyway, whatever it was, we, we had buried some stuff out there away from the house, about 50 yards, so we could get out there within a matter of minutes, grab a shovel, and get our, our very most basic needs taken care of. Uh, does that make you fanatic? Some people would think so, but uh, I think it makes you smart. I think it makes it where if you have a have a uh, a catastrophe or some kind, then uh, you can survive it. Not only survive, but be somewhat healthy and comfortable for a short period of time until you're able to, uh, you know, get your get squared away here. So anyway, that's. Uh, I think that's all I've got about about the coronavirus and prepping and stuff. Got a bunch of other stuff, though, so stand by one second, and I'm going to go fetch some stuff here. Hold on a minute. It's, uh, it's really good to be here. It's really good to uh, see all of you here in support of overriding the governor's veto on such an important monumental bill. Can everybody hear me all right? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, you know, when we're talking about issues like the Second Amendment, a lot of people look at it in just within the context of guns, whether or not you're for or against guns. But really, the issue is, is so much deeper than that. And I would say that we really need to go all the way back to some of the more important principles, such as property rights. Okay, We need to go back to some deeper principles, such as the principles of self-ownership. You know, our, our liberty hinges on... On, on the question of whether or not you believe you own yourself or whether or not you believe somebody else owns you. It's a, it's a fundamental principle of liberty. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, what kind of government you have. If you want to strive for liberty, you have to come to a conclusion on this particular issue, this particular matter. Now, I would argue that we own ourselves. I believe that our founding fathers were right when they wrote in the Declaration that all men are created equal and that we're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these... I like how they said, among these rights, they didn't list all of our rights, they just said, among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, here's the reason we have government at all. Here's the whole purpose behind American government. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So my job description is a state representative. We have law enforcement here and in other parts of the state. Their job is law enforcement. Our job is, I spent several years in the United States Marine Corps as an infantryman. My job as a Marine was the same job that it really was the same job that I have right here as a state representative. Our job as members of the government, as, as operators or agents of the government, our job is to help keep people free. That's it. That's all we have to do. It's really, it's really a very simple job description. But oftentimes we get politicians and bureaucrats who try to expound on their job description. And before too long, we have this mission creep. And next thing you know, they believe that they're in government for an entirely different reason. But really the reason that we have government for any, the whole reason we have government is just to help keep people free. It's to make sure that we identify that people own themselves and it's not up to the government to decide what liberties you get and what liberties you don't get because, as John Adams called him, the great legislator of the universe was the one that told us what liberties we have. And the most that government can do, the most that we can do for each other is protect each other's liberty because it's mutually beneficial. So I believe that when we look at issues like the Second Amendment, the fact that we have a right to life, just, just by virtue of having two hands that I can ball up into fists to protect myself from anybody who would try to do my body harm, I have a right to defend myself. And our founding fathers were wise enough and had enough forethought to, to give us what we would call a vested right, where they wrote in the Constitution, in the Second Amendment, that we have a right to keep and bear arms. And I think that our founding fathers were very wise, and one of them said this, somebody much smarter than me said that a government that does not trust its citizens with arms is itself unworthy of trust. And so when we see these particular issues rise to the surface in the legislature, it's very important that we pay attention to who it is that believes you have a right to keep and bear arms because that might, it might, highlight some people that themselves might be unworthy of trust. I, I believe that to my core. But you know, the Second Amendment says that the federal government 
shall not deprive the people of the right or infringe on the people's rights to keep and bear arms, right? What the Second Amendment does, legally speaking, what the Second Amendment does is it removes from the federal government any jurisdiction over firearms regulation. It is the, the Second Amendment, really, quite literally, a prohibition placed on our federal government, okay? Now, do I believe that, you know, people try to say this, oh, you just want everybody walking around carrying a bazooka. You figured me out. That's, that's what I'm going for. No, but I spent, I spent several years in the Marine Corps. And are there, are there areas where the government, maybe at the state level, should just step in just to make sure that there's checks and balances? You know, those things are to be debated maybe, but only at the state level, not coming from the federal government, not coming from executive orders by our president. And I think that it's incumbent on our governor and our legislature and all members of our state government to make sure that they're standing up for a certain degree of sovereignty that the Constitution reserves to the people of Missouri. I'm excited to go in here to vote to override this bill. And a lot of times politicians look for cover whenever they vote for yes and no. They, 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 they want to go in. They want to vote the right way. But sometimes they just look for political cover because they want to vote the right way. But they just want to make sure that they, you know, have the, uh, the right thing to say to people. Our cover to override this bill. Welcome back to another segment of The Shooting Bench, right here on the Survival Circle Radio Network. Well, is the United States Constitution. That's it. My name's Paul Kerbin. Thank you very much for letting me be here today. I greatly appreciate it. Okay, let's hurry up and get a little bit more of this done. It's going to be kind of a short show, like I said. Now, I'm, uh, I'm trying to fulfill my, my promise here that I would always, you know, keep this going. And, uh, I tell you, this sheriff's campaign is, is eating me up. So I'm trying to do the best I can to get something out there for you. And, uh, we're running, putting miles on the, on the vehicles like you wouldn't believe. We're going to start hitting that reservation out there. Uh, the end of this month, and that's even going to be worse. You may, you may be getting some shows from, uh, the middle of the Navajo reservation in northern Arizona there from time to time. We'll see what happens. So anyway, let me try to hit a few highlights here of some of the things that I wanted to, uh, to talk about here. There's, um, uh, there was another, um, well, I'm not going to, I'm just going to talk about some of the coronavirus. You guys have heard all that in the news. So I just want to talk to you about the masks and, and all of that stuff that is a little, uh, uh, you know, some of the stuff that you won't hear in detail and, uh, on the news. So let's move into this one here. Whoops. Demolition company accidentally tears down the wrong house. How in the hell do you accidentally tear down the wrong house? Exactly how this took me. I mean, they have, I don't know. When you go down and tear down a house, it's probably a good idea to double, triple check the address, make sure that uh, you have everything like it's supposed to be. Some outfit in Texas now uh, tore down a 97-year-old house on the same street in Dallas as one that was actually supposed to be torn down. The company's owner said the home didn't have any numbers on it. If there were numbers on the curb, they were covered by water and debris from recent rain. Well, why didn't you check? Workers saw the house was empty. It had no plumbing or electrical wiring. It was also missing a foundation, no gas meter. So there you go. We figured we're in the right place. Uh, well... The house was actually owned by a man that lives in California. He inherited it from a friend who died three years ago and was planning to renovate it. The man told the, the news station there that he wants to be compensated for both the value of the house and its sentimental value. Now, you know, I, I'm going to guess being from California, he's going to want a whole lot more than, than what is. You can't place a, a, a value on sentimental I understand that on sentimental value. But uh, he's probably going to want a lot more than what is 
reasonable. Of course, I, I can't say what is reasonable. And, uh, I don't know what sentimental value he's got. I mean, he inherited it from his friend. It wasn't like it was his grandma's house or something. But nevertheless, it was a 97-year-old house, and this company was was irresponsible and and um, it tore it down. Uh, that's you know that's not that's not even a little bit cool. I don't think. So. Anyway. Okay, well, let's move along. We have numerous things here we got to uh, talk about. Not very much time to talk about them. So, in Alaska, an officer up there took, um, you know, the, the, the badges that police officers wear are not exactly, most of them are not like what you get out of a Cracker Jack box. You know, they're not little pot metal deals like we had as kids and uh, made out of tin or something. This one was actually, these badges are pretty heavy duty now. Uh, every once in a while, once in a great while, you hear of one catching a bullet in the badge and uh, the badge being instrumental in saving their life. Well, that's what happened to this Alaska officer. Badge uh, bullet caught him in the in the badge, and he he made it. Well, that's pretty interesting. All right, let's see here. Let me let me keep moving along. I've got. Let me see if I can do this a little bit differently here, and try to. You know, there's a well. I can't say that right now. There's a there's a case going on around here locally that um, I'm going to give you a whole lot of information on, but it may be it may be two or three weeks or a month. I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to talk to some of the people that were involved in it here, uh, hopefully yet tonight, and see if uh, once it's all out in the open, we'll all I'll share it with you just as soon as I can. Hey, I guess you heard Bloomberg. Uh, abandoned ship. Bloomberg's done. No more ads. No more nothing. He's he finished it up. No more presidential run. That's pretty awesome. However, he's back in Biden, and what I'm afraid is he's going to pour you know millions and millions and millions of dollars into Biden's campaign. I don't know if it'll do any good. I feel I still think Trump's going to smoke him, but um, you know it's uh, it's just kind of a scary thought. So, a little bit of gun stuff here for tonight, and then I'm going to have to cut it short here. The Army has found an M2 machine gun, the Modus they call it, 50 caliber machine gun, still shooting, working perfectly after 90 years. This, uh, this The uh, receiver on this gun is serial number uh, 324, yeah, 324. And uh, apparently it has never been overhauled. They said, look at the receiver for its age. It looks as good as new. And they use their gauges to check everything. And it checks out better than most other weapons. So Now, that, there's nothing saying that this has ever seen a lot of a lot of duty. I, I don't know. You know. It may have not been shot that much. But anyhow, they're going to try to replace it in a museum here, uh, put it on display instead of sending it to the scrapyard. The one that's on display now in the small arms repair facility is number 389. Still pretty good. Pretty old there, but this one's 324 and still running. And uh, they want to uh, put it... You know, that, that old gun's been around a long time. They're still working. It uh, it's began its life, I believe, in 1918. Uh, right close to the end of World War One. And it has been used repeatedly over heavy-duty production began in 1921. Um, so there's been a lot of different uh, modifications to it and different variants by adding other components and barrels and stuff. But anyway, uh, 94 years after its first production run, the 324th weapon made by the Anniston Army Depot or made it to the Anniston Army Depot for overhaul and upgrade. I thought that was kind of interesting. thought I'd throw that in there for you. All right, let's see if i got another another short one to throw in real quick here besides Bloomberg. 
Uh, here's one. Now, this should be, some of you that follow me on Facebook probably saw this, a Denver councilwoman has tweeted solidarity, they said, they were for with spreading coronavirus at Trump rallies. She says, if I ever get the virus, uh, I'm going to go to uh, mega rallies and, and spread it as much as I can. Now, is that a threat? The difference being here, if she says, I have the coronavirus and I'm going to spread it, is different than saying, if I get it, I'm going to spread it. But, you know, it's it's close enough to me to be considered bioterrorism either way. Um, we'll see if anything comes of it. Probably not. These are, this, these Democrats or something else are killing me. A school in Wisconsin has closed its gender-neutral bathroom after uh, a sexual assault kid was arrested, an 18-year-old kid. And um, so, you know, the whole the whole details of this are not as important as the fact that they are closing this gender-neutral bathroom. Why is it so difficult? Why are these people just now coming around to the fact that you're you're born one way or the other, and you can't have everybody pottying in the same place without problems. And problems are cropping up all over the country. We have screwed this country up so bad, I have no idea if it can ever be repaired. Uh, obviously, we need to make a tremendous effort to do that. Will it happen? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Well, anyway, uh, this is uh, an extra short show. Uh, I've got to, to get out of here. I've got actually what I'm doing uh, that I have to do a lot of. Is I'm making a lot of colloidal silver generators. People are coming around with this coronavirus going around. Uh, these silver generators have once again become a very uh, sought-after item here. So, you know, silver is is like uh, uh, like the mask and stuff. It's not as easy as, as the people learn about this. They're buying it up off the shelves. And then, you know, I'm telling them, you can make the damn stuff for uh, 1% of what you're paying for it at the store. Let's see, 1%, what would that be? Let's see. If, yeah, probably without going through a bunch of figures. If it was, if it was $40 for a four-ounce bottle, and four ounces goes into 128, how many times? 30-something? Um, let's see, 128 divided by four. Yeah, 32. So 32 times 40 is 1,280 bucks a gallon. You can make it for a dollar a gallon. So, yeah, way less than one, one half of 1% that you can make it yourself. People are figuring that out, and I just ordered a bunch of stuff, and I'm feverishly trying to get caught up on on colloidal silver generators right now. Anyway, I'm going to leave you with uh, something for your listening pleasure here, and I'm going to get out of here. I will be back for Liberty Lounge this Friday, and uh, it will be... Yeah, it'll be new, fresh, all that. So, All right, let me leave you with this, and I'm going to get out of here, and I'll see you Friday. And I appreciate you joining me tonight. All right, welcome to the shooting bench. This is Nostalgia Central here. We've got a few clips for you from uh, various places that the show has been put on. I don't, We haven't nearly got all of them by any remote stretch, but uh, we've got quite a few, and I just wanted to throw this in here. This first one, we missed about half of the, well, about the first, 30 minutes of the show. This was the very first show, uh, certainly the first shooting bench, to be done after the collapse of the Watchmen. This was the first show done on Just Measures Radio Network on the 6th of June in 2011, and this was done from a little town in Nevada called Eureka. And uh, we're just going to listen to little clips from a few of these and uh, move on from there. Let's let's listen in here. You know what, T Dog? We may try to get Miss Amy in here. She's she has uh, 
migrated in here to this diner and is bonding with these folks here. Uh, nice people here. This uh, in uh, in in Eureka, Nevada. When you drive up there, it says the friendliest little town on the loneliest road in America. And there, that's why we had to stop here and do it because the next stop is Ely, Nevada, and it's uh, I don't know, it's 100 120 miles, and there's nothing but barbed wire fence between here and there and a few road signs, a couple of antelope maybe. Once again, this is the shooting bench. I don't know how this is about the ninth time I've said this. This is the shooting bench. I am Cope Reynolds, and this is coming to you live and in Technicolor from Moab, Utah, one of the most incredible views in in the world. The land, the terrain features and stuff around here are unlike anything anybody else has to offer. We love coming through here. I've been here like a million times, but uh, I, I never get tired of it. It's astounding. So that's where we're at now. This is the 7th of June. Okay, welcome. It is Tuesday, the 2nd of August, the day before hump day, the day before Jason and I will go forth into deep into enemy territory, into the belly of the beast to educate folks in the fine art of pistol craft. We're headed to Ohio tomorrow at O dark 30 in the morning, and we should be to Just Measures Coin Shop sometime late tomorrow evening. All right, where in the world is Cope and Jason? Hello, it is Thursday, the 4th of August already, and we are in Mount Vernon, Indiana. Jason and I, we've made a long trip, 26 hours of driving. Welcome to another edition of the Shooting Bench. Um, we drove 26, or we drove 18 hours yesterday and stopped in, in, uh, where in the heck did we stop? I was tired last night. Uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And, uh, this morning got up and, and come on in to Mount Vernon, Indiana. Anyway, here we are. Jeez, what a trip. Where in the world are Cope and Jason right now? Well, we are in, well, the locals call it uh, uh, Bell Fountain. It's spelled Bella Fontaine, so I don't know which what it is. It's uh, you can look on the map and call it whatever you want to. But uh, this has been an experience. We uh, I told you that uh, Oklahoma's roads suck pretty bad, and Arkansas just sucks. Period. And uh, we've got here at Ohio. I've never been a real big fan of Ohio, but I was kind of grateful to get here this time. I found that Ohio is is uh, more better than some of the other ones we've been through. I, uh, this is my, my third tour to Ohio. Yeah, Jason says we're in, uh, we're in BF Ohio, if you can figure that out. We uh, got here, and our, our host, uh, gracious, got a nice place to shoot out there. Uh, it's been, we, we got here a little late because we stayed with Bobby a little long last night. But we're going to make that up to him tomorrow. And uh, it's been uh, been a lot of fun. By the way, for those of you that didn't know this already, it is Friday, the 5th of August already. Welcome to another edition of the Shooting Bench. We are coming to you, Jason and I, live and in Technicolor from, well, I was going to say beautiful downtown St. Louis, but... Uh, yeah, it is. It's beautiful because we just come out of Illinois. So we, and that's why we're late because we didn't want to stop and do it behind enemy lines. I was afraid that, uh, I didn't know if Jay, we've only got two AKs with us and a limited amount of ammunition and I'm not sure that Jason would have been able to hold them off. And, uh, I may have, may have had to play a long commercial break so I could get out there and, and, uh, help him stand them off here. So we, we made a dash for, uh, to get, uh, inside America here. And we just did it. We stopped at a gas station in the sunshine in the middle of nowhere. But we are in St. Louis. So if you hear the traffic going by and everything, we're stopped at a, uh, what is that, Jason, Diarrhea Queen or Sonic or some little ice cream place here. Tuning in on us here. It is Tuesday, the 9th of August. And we're coming to you live and in Technicolor from beautiful downtown Shamrock, Texas. 
We are at Big Burn Steakhouse in Shamrock. The folks at Big Burn Steakhouse have been kind enough to let us uh, borrow their air conditioning and their their uh, uh, television, their 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 diet cokes here for a little bit, and uh, to bring you the shooting bench. And next weekend is Pioneer Days in Luna. If you guys can possibly swing the time and money to swing by here and check this out, you will be absolutely flabbergasted. This is a little town. It's not even a town. It, it, it just barely classifies as a community. There's 158 people in an unincorporated area. We have Southwest Shooting Authority and one little tiny bitty store Two gas pumps and a, and a, and a uh, post office. And that's it. And 158 people. And that's all there is. But when it comes Pioneer Days, they have, you know, it, it, the average rodeo, <clears throat> professional rodeo, stuff you see on TV, sometimes has 20 and 30 teams, say, uh, you know, team roping and stuff like that, uh, bulldog and whatever. Uh, there are over 50 teams come to this rodeo. I don't have any idea what is so appealing about this little rodeo in this town. Okay, here we are. We are welcome to a special edition of the Shooting Bench on Just Measures Radio. We are coming to you live and in, uh, well, I was going to say Technicolor, but not really. It's a little bit of green, a whole lot of brown, and some blue skies here. And uh, we are live in, tech, in Quartzsite, Arizona right now. And this is going to be an exciting weekend. There's no question about it. There's, uh, there's a lot of guns here. There's a lot of people rolling in. My old friend Bob Wright's in here. And uh, I would suspect that Bob Mitzel is probably with him. I don't know how many of his group that he brought. I'll be seeing him right after the show. Um, a lot of things going on. And uh, it appears that the... From what I understand, the uh, uh, law enforcement here is uh, a little bit on edge, which I can believe that. If you listened to the show yesterday, you heard and found out that uh, they, it doesn't seem that they're going to receive any help from any of the surrounding communities. And um, the, uh, the sheriff here, his old, old-time buddy, will probably be about the only help that he gets. And... And I don't say that meaning that he's going to need help. It's just that I know that he wanted help. And uh, we'll see We'll see how all this turns out. But uh, there's folks steadily pulling in. We're broadcasting to you right now live from Vito's RV Park right outside of Quartzsite, Arizona. This is the happening place. This is where it's at. I met uh, Vito himself a while ago. And um, uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Uh, I was worried about the sound. I have a great big fan blowing by me. We're sitting outside right now, and uh, we've got a, a canopy over us, but it's 113 degrees, and uh, sun shining bright, and it's just a, a, a beautiful day for a rebellion. Some other things that happened here. Uh, number one, remember two or three weeks ago we told you that uh, Jason and I and, and uh, Amy had stopped on the, in, in Socorro, to get fuel, and we found an old ratty flag flying across the street. And of course, Amy talked me out of, of just taking it, so I went and put a note on the door. Well, we went back uh, not once but twice this weekend, and found that they have removed that flag. Of course, they haven't put up a new one yet, but I don't care about that. I just care about them taking that old ratty one down. <laughs> Happened over the weekend at our our latest crusade, where we went down to the. Uh, the emergency tree cutting uh, plan that they're implementing down in in uh, Otero County learned a lot down there. We found out that we are not alone in our uh, our quest for for freedom and in liberty and all things right and normal. All gun related, of course, that may vary just a little bit tonight. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, but anyway. The shooting bench. It is the 11th of December, and Jason and I are tucked away, hiding in a little cubby hole in, in Caldwell, Idaho, trying to sneak through here without making too much uh, um, 
to do here. I didn't tell you what they told me down at Walgreens a while ago, did I? No, I uh, went into Walgreens to get some stuff, and and um, there's two gals back there, and, of course, I was wearing my gun, as I always do. And she said, uh, well, how do you like it here? And I said, oh, it's, it's fine, but we're not, I don't live here. We're just, uh, just traveling through. She said, where are you from? And I told her, and she said, uh, well, I figured it was someplace like that. You carrying a gun. So that's pretty much what everybody does around here. And I said, yeah, we thought we'd go ahead and, and, uh, cut our trip a little short tonight and stay here instead of going on into Oregon. We had a little extra time. We could have made it on into Oregon and, and um, she said, oh, yeah, we treat carriers a whole lot better here than they do over there. I'm glad you stopped. Well, you guys are not going to believe this. I'm going to have to put a playlist on here for a couple of minutes. I just heard the dogs barking. And <laughs> I went outside, and there's a bear in the goat pen, if you can believe that. Uh, the bear is dead now. And I'm gonna have to probably call, uh, call the game department here. But he is inside the, uh, the goat pen and a 22 Magnum fixed him right up. So I'm not gonna interrupt the show other than I am gonna have to play a, a playlist here for a few minutes and, uh, I'll be back in here in just a little bit. So stand by. Well, that wraps up another edition of The Shooting Bench. Join me Monday and Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific, and again on Fridays from 7 to 10 for The Shooting Bench. Good night, and thanks for joining me. No reconciliation. No, let's talk it over now.